0: Or that's enough. I forget every time. You know, I don't sound like this in real life. It's always more like, hey, guys. So this is incredible. Uh, We are in the middle of our series right now, our Oikos series. We have this message today. Next week will be our last message in the Oikos series. And then we will get into Palm Sunday, obviously then Good Friday, and then Easter, which we're very, very, very excited about. Um, Just really quick about our Oikos series that you should know is that it's a biblical, it's biblically being very intentional. It's this whole process of seeking to share the gospel with those who are our family and our friends and those who are close to us, our oikos, our home, our people, your people. And so what I love about this is what we've been experiencing from our table groups, we've been experiencing it from just stories, is that this is evangelism made very, very simple. No longer will you have to think that only an evangelist flies across the world to speak to somebody they don't know. No longer you have to think that, oh, well, to evangelize, I have to be on the corner with a megaphone, and I have to shout, turn, or burn, right? No longer do you have to think that. It's very, very, very much within your capability and within your oikos to evangelize the world. If we all, as a church, just decided that we are going to take our oikos process seriously, we would see a massive transformation, not just within this church, but within our community around us. These are to the people that we love. Last week, we talked about our front row. You can throw that slide up, Dom. And we looked at, like, just overall going through the card, right? Who is in our Oikos? And so we, we, it's in the back of all of your chairs if you don't have one yet, if you haven't filled that out yet. But we went through the five steps of really joining in on the Oikos process. And so you can go back and listen to that message if you want to get a thorough grasp of that card and and understand it if you didn't hear it. But you know what, like, one thing I want to challenge everybody to is if you have a story that is developing, one that is beginning to happen within your process of Oikos, let us know. You can come tell us personally, or you can email us um, at our, at our um, info email, and let us know your story so we can share your story, so we can celebrate your story with you and be praying with you um, uh, through that journey. I love, love, love hearing a good story. Does anybody like me? If someone's got a good story, it's like, hold on, wait, 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 let's make sure we don't get any interruptions. Let's just hear the story. No offense to any waiter or waitresses, but when a waiter or waitress interrupts a good story, especially when I'm telling it or hearing it, I'm just like, okay, okay, start over, right? I love a good story. Don't you love a good story? I love to hear a good story, too, like an oikos type of story of someone who who had kind of maybe written somebody off, but through the process, God has opened doors. God has changed your heart. God has begun to move in a way that you hadn't seen before. So we would love to hear that. You know, there's so much power in a story. Uh, Years ago, when I was doing youth ministry, I would run into students maybe 10 years later And it's kind of weird because they're like grown and they have a family and you're seeing them as, you know, like, wow, you look the same, but you're not the same. It's like a teacher's experiences all the time. And then I'd often get this of like, hey, do you remember that one time in that sermon you were sharing the story or you were telling that story about that? That was a great story. And I'm like, do you remember the sermon? And they're like, I don't remember the sermon at all, but I remember that story. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's when we were talking about taking a big step of faith. And that's why that made sense. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. We remember stories. They stay with us. They are powerful, powerful. And you have to realize this about stories is that they stay with people. They move people. So today we're going to spend the rest of the time here talking about your story. You have a powerful story, whether you know it or not. You have an incredible story with inside of you that people need to hear. You have a story waiting to be told that will stay with somebody, that will make an impression on somebody. And I want to talk, just if we can walk out thinking this one thing, is that there is power, definitely, in our witness with our story, with our testimony. There's power in that. I, I, don't, I don't care if you have been a Christian for 30 years and you're like, but that's like an old story of me. And I'm like, yeah, 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 exactly. You are now who you are because of that moment back then. That's your testimony. You should know it. You should be familiar with it. It should be right at the very forefront of your mind because you <laughs> were dead and now you are alive. You are who you are because of that moment. In time, So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the power of a story, the power of a testimony. We only have a testimony because of the work that you've done in our life. God, we were once dead, but now we are alive. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. Thank you for giving us a testimony. And God, I ask that each person in here remembers, connects with, becomes very familiar again with what that story was, who they were and who they are now and what happened in that moment. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm. Okay, remember this. At the, at the center of every testimony, no matter what your testimony is, is the most powerful miracle that could ever happen and will ever happen. The most miraculous thing happened at the very center of every testimony that makes every testimony the same. And that is the miracle of resurrection. That you were once dead. You were once lost. You were once gone and you had returned. You were found. And in that moment, you were in darkness and then you came to light. There is no testimony greater than another testimony. You must know this. You were dead and now are alive. Resurrection is what connects all stories, whether you were raised in a Christian household. I have had people, because I usually like to ask, like, okay, when did you become a believer? I have had people tell me, well, I was pretty much born a believer, and I'm like, how were you born a believer? And they're like, well, you know, I was raised at home and then my parents were Christians. I went to church and I was like, no, 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 no. There's a moment when you decided to make this your faith. Tell me about that moment when you made this your faith, when you began to become serious. When you said, I choose you, Jesus, over anything else. There's a moment when you were once dead. You weren't born alive. I just want to let you know that. That's why rebirth is what you experienced. There are those who, whether, you know, you were an atheist, you had resurrection at the center of your story. You once believed in maybe nothing, and now you believe in something. There are former hedonists here. I don't want to point you out. But your life was about whatever you could indulge in and whatever you wanted and you, you restrained from nothing. And now you found something in a moment of resurrection that puts you on a different path. There are former addicts in here who were once about and consumed by something else and driven by something else and now are compelled in a different way. There are former apathists here. I don't even know if that's a word. I made it up. But spell check didn't stop me. So an apathist. Somebody who just was like, meh about your faith, and now your faith is on the rise and on the move because resurrection happened. There are formal criminals. And at one point, your life was about something else, and now it is going in a different direction. There are former, you name it, religions in here who have found Christ as the way. At the center of all of these stories and testimonies is resurrection, I always have a hard time when someone says, well, my testimony is not that exciting. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I know this is, I'm overstating this. No, I'm not overstating this. The, 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 the thing about saying your testimony is not exciting is like if someone were to die here and came to life, that's what happened in you. Your testimony is exciting it does relate to somebody it does connect it does have power and it is miraculous your story is yours it's unique to you someone should hear it many people should hear it you if you were born in, if you were born into a household of faith and you were raised in the church why can't you share your testimony with somebody who was not why can't you share the power of resurrection with somebody who doesn't have at all your experience? That's the beauty of a testimony. Resurrection is the same. You know, we are driven by human stories all throughout history. I think the way we're wired is to hear a story. When in antiquity, when they wanted to pass down a value, they pass it down in story. And then they would translate the value, and they would hold on to the value. Stories shaped us. Story has to have molded us. They inspire us. They have convicted us. How many times have you heard a story, watched a documentary, saw something, and said, I'm going to do that, too. I'm going to push on through now, too. Or you've watched something that convicted you, revealed something through a story. They move us, they pass on values, ultimately stories affect us. Where is Hagoth, right? Your life is about telling stories, right? You do it through film. And this is what I appreciate about you, because I can see it when you begin to tell it through film. And I'm like, this guy's telling a story that's moving me, changing me, getting me to think something differently. It's a powerful gift you have to share someone else's story. And you also have your own story. They move us it's why you do what you do cuz you know it has its effect stories impact people you have a story pope st uh, paul the he said this modern man listens more willingly to witness than to teachers and if he doesn't listen to teachers it's if he does listen to teachers it's because they are witnesses we can preach all day long but there's something compelling through a testimony. There's something compelling through a witness to something. This pope was interesting because he was the first pope to leave Italy in a century. He was the first one to ever fly on a plane. And he went to all, all the continents and he evangelized. Wait, is Antarctica a continent? I don't think he went there, but he went to the others. And he went and they called him the pilgrim, the pilgrim pope because he wanted to be around, share stories, and witness, not just speak and tell, uh, and teach from, uh, from his uh, very simple place in the Vatican. But he wanted to go out and be a part and share stories and be a witness. First Peter 3.13, th- uh, 3, this is such a beautiful piece of scripture. Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? He's encouraging them because they're experiencing difficulty. Who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So even in the midst of living your life as an example, and you pay for it, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of of their threats. Here we go. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. That is your testimony do uh, but do this in a gentle and respectful way keep your conscience clear then if people speak against you they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you have lived because you belong to Christ remember it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong your life is a testimony And don't be ashamed of that testimony. You live it because you worship Christ as the Lord of your life. That is your story. There was that moment when you met Christ, but then you are living your identity out now. This is your testimony. I want to give you three understandings of the power of a testimony. And um, the first one you might not have seen coming. But the very, first power, the very first thing, the understanding we should have of the power of a testimony is that you are a parable. You are a living parable. You know, there's a big difference between Jesus' parables and parables throughout history. Right? Jesus, when he told a parable... Encapsulated a divine truth of the kingdom or of God's nature or of, of um, the position of the heart towards God that changes a heart, right? When he had it, it was, it was entrenched or wrapped in this story, but it was a divine truth. I'll give you an example of, of the difference between a Jesus parable and a parable for a moral transference or some value. I was reading this uh, interesting one, uh, an old Jewish parable, and the parable goes like this. There was a man who was praying one day, and God had come to him and said, listen, I'm going to give you three wishes. Now, this isn't typically what God does, but He's, I'm going to give you three wishes, and so he's like, okay, wow, that's great. Three wishes, whatever I want, whatever you want. Okay, great, and then so he says, but Every wish I give you, what I give you, I will give double to your neighbor. And he's like, great, this is great. Okay, so he asked the first thing, I want to see my lands expand. I want vast, great lands. And God says, great. He grants him the lands. And one day as he's walking through his land, he sees his neighbor celebrating because he has double the land. And he does not like this. It's very hard. But he goes back to God and he says, "Okay, I have my second wish. My second wish is this: is that I want to see my livestock just expand so it fills my land, so I have the most livestock." And God says, "Great, I'll give you that wish." And he's walking out and he's looking at his livestock, and then he sees that his neighbor has twice as much livestock, and then he becomes angry. And then he goes to God and he says, "I have my third wish. I wish that I was blind in one eye." <laughs> It's such a good parable. It says so much, right? But it passes this certain value of like coveting and, 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 and the keeping up with the Joneses and not being satisfied and then also wishing evil on those who have more. Contrast that with the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son is a beautiful parable because Jesus is telling this story And he is going on and sharing what is the story have in it. The story has a son who has left and disgraced his father. An older son who is angry at his younger brother and says, he is no longer my brother. And then you have a father who is desperate for his younger son but loves his older son as well. And the story, as Jesus begins to tell it, is about the, the Israelites who will one day be called to accept their Gentile brothers and bring them into God's cause. And the story, story shares of the struggle, it shares of the difficulty, and it shares of the story of God's heart and what he desires for this world. There is a very big difference between those two parables you are a Jesus parable. You are a story. Look at what Jesus' parables are like. If you read them all, and there are many of them, many of, much of his teaching was in parable form. They're realistic. They're relatable. They're a reasonable story that holds within it a divine truth that points to God's purpose in this world. That is you, your life, your story a divine truth that is pointing towards God's story for the world. You're this parable of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, a story that expresses truth in every part of your journey. That's what you're living out. You cannot discount your testimony. It should be shared. It should be shared with others. They should know it well. You know, I was reading about this lady named Joni Erickson uh, Tata, and she's famous for, uh, famous author, radio host, right, um, uh, for Disabilities Act, working with Congress. She's unbelievable when you begin to read her life story written many children's books for kids who are experiencing any disability. She's done incredible work, nominated for an Academy Award for a song she sang in a movie. I mean, but her life started out this way. Her father was an Olympian. She wanted to be an Olympian and wanted to be an Olympic swimmer. She ended up diving into a river. It was too small. She, she broke her neck and became a paraplegic. She spent the rest of her life deciding that she was going to do something with that. She was going to make a difference for God. And she has spent her entire life journey. She has written over 50 books. She is, I was reading through the awards this woman has won, and they, I just couldn't even go through the entire amount of awards that she has gotten for her persistence to fight for those who can't fight for themselves sometimes. If you read James 1, which is worth reading, this James 1 really speaks to this woman is a parable of James 1, her life journey. She said this, we will stand amazed to see uh, the top side of the tapestry of how God beautifully embroidered each circumstance into a pattern for our good and his glory. That is parable living. Let me read uh, Colossians 3, 9. It says, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. You are a living parable pointing to the creator. But I love verse 17. It's worth uh, highlighting. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. You are an unfolding parable carrying divine truths that people will listen and see and perceive. Not every parable that Jesus told to his crowd was understood and sometimes not meant to be understood. But people would get a glimpse of a divine truth within the parable and then he would be able to fill in the blanks. That's what you are. And at the moment when someone asked, can you actually explain to me how you live the way you do, why you do what you do, what is changed in you, what is happening in you, you could then give the lesson to the parable. The second part is this is to understanding the power of a testimony is transformation prompts testimony. Does it not? Uh, Have you ever experienced transformation and kept it to yourself? (laughs) I've seen your Facebook posts. Come on stop have you ever experienced something and in, in, in transformation and kept it to yourself thank you Ah, oh. that's better than an amen I, I went through this weird phase chad knows me i go through all kinds of phases and i love to uh, evangelize about it and so one time i was went through a phase of just eating all meat just meat just red meat actually breakfast lunch and dinner red meat I did it for an entire month, and I was just like, oh, I feel great. I feel, and I'm, I'm, I'm proselytizing people. Like, have you ever tried to just eat red meat all the time? Yum, yum, yum. It's good. Like, no, everyone, no one wanted to hear my, uh, my, my, my plan. No one wanted to come and join what I was doing. It wasn't that attractive to people. But listen, when we experience something, and we are truly experiencing it, we want to testify about it. An investment that you made, a program that you joined, a method, right, that you are involved in, a loophole that you found and you want to share with everybody else about the loophole, a book that you read and you're like, you want to read this book? I want you to read this book. You should read this book. A podcast that you have heard and liked and an experience that you have had and now you must share it with other people. Um. I don't know if anybody've ever done this, but uh, when I went skydiving for the first time, I absolutely fell in love with skydiving. And I remember I was sharing my skydiving experience with somebody, and uh, they, can't, uh, they couldn't walk two steps up on a ladder without freaking out. And I, through the power of my experience... Began to work on them and work on them and work on them and work on them. And And they're like, no, I could never do that. I was like, you're doing it. You can do it. You can probably never be afraid of heights again if you just jump out at 10,000 feet. Right? (laughs) And eventually, they did it. It was a horrific, horrifying experience for them. (laughs) I do feel bad. But think about your experience when you really truly love something. What about the moment when you met Christ? You got to share about it. What about the moment God answered a prayer? You want to share about it, right? I think when God divinely interacts with us, we have to. It must prompt testimony for us. I think this is true about uh, God, but s- stories of divine encounters deserve a good reporter. They deserve a good journalist, right? We should, we should be writing the story, telling this story, breaking the news, right? Sharing the truth. It's worthy of news is the divine encounter with you. Edward Murrow is kind of the gold standard of journalism. Most people will point to him and say he's maybe the father of great journalism, And he was someone who put himself in World War II in very difficult situations to report what was going on in Nazi Germany. And he's an American, but he was in England and just reporting constantly what was happening in Europe and, and had people everywhere so they could relay information to him and he could relay it to the United States. And many said that we hurt over the war because you made us hurt. He didn't let us not see it. He was a great journalist, a standard. He was fearless, but he was fearless for the truth. Single handedly, I would say, to bring down McCarthyism at that time when it was ripping the country apart by telling the truth. He said this To be persuasive, we must be believable. To be believable, we must be credible. To be credible, we must be truthful. I like that in a good reporter. And that's what you are. Someone who experienced something beautiful and to go and report it to others. Transformation prompts testimony. You want to hear one of the best testimonies told after transformation. It's King Nebuchadnezzar after Daniel has interpreted his dreams. In King Nebuchadnezzar, this great God of a man proclaimed like a God has a divine Transformation. But I like what King Nebuchadnezzar does. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't shuffle it down. He doesn't put it away. He has a testimony. Verse 34 in chapter 4 of Daniel. After this time had passed, right? Some time had passed when these revelations were brought to him. Interpretations of these dreams. Nebuchadnezzar, in a moment, says this. I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned. And I praised and worshiped the Most High God, right? So so the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting. His kingdom is eternal. The people of the earth are nothing compared to him. This is a lot from a guy who was a god. He does as he pleases among the angels in heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him. Ah, oh, this is a good testimony. No one can say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? He says, when my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as the head of my kingdom, even a greater honor than before. Now listen to verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, me, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. That's a good testimony, is it not? When when God does something, when the divine is interacting with us and something happens, we're prompt. Our prompt is to testify it. We should. Be a good reporter for divine truths that happen in your life. That's an important thing of the power of a testimony. You are a parable and when God does something divine in your life, especially from raising you from the dead, we should go share it and promote it, and and testify as boldly as Nebuchadnezzar did. The very last one here, and this will be in a few different parts, is in the power of a testimony, is to understand the anatomy of a testimony of your story. I think an impactful witness shares about four key components of of their story. Do you know your story? If someone said, how did you become a Christian? What is that story? Why are you a Christian? What is the story? When did you become a Christian? Is the story ready? We should know it. Paul, by far, is the best example. He loved telling his story, he told it better than anyone else. Uh, We hear his story three times just in the book of Acts. He's told it in other spots where he wrote just parts of his story. Acts Acts chapter 26 is the very best model that we could have. Now, if you remember, when we studied Acts chapter 26, we're going to look at his testimony just a little differently in the components of which he shared them. But he gave these four parts. The first part of knowing your testimony, to share your testimony, is my life before Christ. Do you remember what your life was before Jesus? Do you remember who you were? Do you remember what you felt? What was the point of your life? What did you feel your purpose was? What were your actions? What was your heart condition? What was your value? Are you in touch with the you before Christ? I remember when I became a believer, I just wanted to act like that Ryan never existed. Were you like that? Anybody like that? you like people would say like oh wow you're you're just like so different i'm like yeah 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 let's not talk about that <laughs> that guy let's just talk about right now but we must never let go of who we were who you were in your life because that is what will connect people to you Because you're speaking to people who are exactly in those places, feeling those exact same things, looking for the exact same things that run empty every time. Verse 4 in chapter 26, I'm going to highlight parts as I go through. You'll see it on the screen. I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood. Now he's telling his testimony to King Agrippa. I was raised in my earliest childhood. I was born a believer, essentially. I was a member of the Pharisees. I was a big deal in our religion, King Agrippa. You should know this. And then in verse 9, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus. My life's work began to have purpose. I will destroy Jesus. I caused many believers, in verse 10 he says, uh, they're to be sent to prison In verse 11, many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus, to renounce Jesus. This was who I was, King Agrippa. This is Paul before Jesus. Now, he has an extreme story. Peter does not have this story. You want to know what Peter's story would be? Well, I was just fishing a lot one day, providing for my family, being a good guy. You know, taking care of my mother-in-law. I was married. Had kids, probably. And uh, and I tried to be a good citizen. And then uh, me and my buddies would get a, get around and, and drink wine and talk about um, whatever sports they played. <laughs> I don't know. It is not Paul's story. It is not his. But they're both very relevant. We tend to think that we need to have this pre-Paul's story to be impactful. And that's just not true. Peter was just as impactful because of resurrection, because of when he met Jesus. I have a question I'll put on the screen. What kind of person were you socially, spiritually, or emotionally before you encountered Christ? We should be very connected with that. What kind of person were you before you met him? Because when somebody is talking to you, And you will be reminded of, like, I was just like that. I was also searching, too. I felt like I had no purpose as well, just like you. The second part of Paul's testimony, the anatomy of a testimony, is four things that should be in a testimony, is how then you should be very familiar with how you came to know Christ. What was that experience like? I wrote some questions down here. What began to happen in your heart that began to change your heart? What questions were you asking of yourself and of the world? I remember for me, it was like, is this it? I've chased things down. I found myself in dark places, and this is where my life is going. I began to ask bigger questions. What hesitations were you having? Mine was, I don't want to be a Christian, especially because I don't like how Christians act or dress. It was a big one for me. (laughs) What was that moment like for you? How did it bring clarity to your life? Are you familiar with the moment of your resurrection when you were brought with Christ, when you became alive, when you saw the light? Verse 13 and 14, Paul says it. and I'll take a few pieces of what he says. At noon, he remembers exactly when it was. A light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me. We all fell down and I heard a voice. Why do you fight me? I think in a way we can somewhat relate to that a little bit. God is like, stop running. Stop resisting. Wherever it is in your story. And then Jesus says, it's useless, Paul. Verse 15 through 18, a couple pieces here. Paul says, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus. And then Jesus says, get up. right? I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. This is why I'm here, to then go and be a witness to those around. Tell people that you've seen me. I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, just like you were with this brilliant light you just saw. Paul was very connected with that moment, how he came to that moment. We should connect ourselves very intimately with that story. Never forget that story. A question maybe we could ask on that is, what were some of the key moments in your relationship with Jesus? What did God do to reveal himself to you? What was that moment? Connect yourself with that. So when you are sharing your story, it's a part of your story. The third part here, the third thing that Paul, I think, takes into account when sharing your testimony is my life in Christ. What's it like now? What has changed? What do you see? How do you see the world? How do you see yourself now? How has it impacted your relationships, your community, your personal life, your purpose, etc., etc., etc.? What has manifested from that moment where you met Christ? How could you tell the story of Christ's work in you as you are trying to model him? Here's what Paul says, verse 19. This is what happened. I obeyed the vision from heaven. I followed it. I listened. Verse 20, I preached first to those in Damascus, then to Jerusalem, and then throughout Judea, and also the Gentiles, that they must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove uh, they have changed by the good deeds that they do. I was there, I preached it, and I made sure that they learned it and grew in it. Verse 22, God has protected me right up into the present time so I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. This is what God has done with me post that encounter. Paul knew how to tell his story very, very, very well. My question here is how has a relationship with Jesus allowed you to live a life that is freer, we should know this, fuller and more joyful what do you want others to know about having a relationship with Jesus what do you want them to know about that and how has that impacted you that you would want them to experience and the last one I think when you're sharing your testimony is to be ready for the invitation to know Christ and I wrote about a whole bunch of things I'm just going to read them When we're thinking about inviting someone else, is, you know, let them know the hopes that you have for your friends, your family, your relationships, and how they've been on your heart for years or you've been praying for them. You know, does your pre Christ life relate to them now and can you relate to them? Have they felt God calling them to faith is a good question. Uh, would they like to begin that journey with you? And a commitment that, hey, I'll be with you every step of the way if you want me to be. I'm just here. I appreciated so much what somebody said in one of our uh, Oikos groups. And they just said, listen, I'm just trying step by step to just you know, be there for this person in my Oikos card. And and I don't know what to do exactly. I don't know how to say everything right. But I'm just just, just like, I've, I've done what I could. And I'm seeing some movement. And now there's some questions being asked. I love that. They're inviting them to know Christ step by step. And they're in the journey with them as that person seeks. Verse 26, in chapter 26, Paul says this about when it comes to his invitation i speak boldly for i am sure of these events i am positive about resurrection and i am positive about salvation my whole life has changed because of that verse 27 paul says king agrippa do you believe the prophets essentially do you believe what i'm saying to you does it resonate with you i know you do And then in verse 28, Agrippa interrupted him, Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? And that might be tough to hear. But Paul replied, Whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am. That's an invitation. I think we think the invitation has to be so much more than what it is. That's an invitation. I just pray that you experience what I have experienced, and I will not stop praying for you. Maybe you don't become a believer quickly, but I'm not going to stop praying that you are as I am. Those are those four parts. This is why. That's why chapter 26 is one of the best, because we see these four parts that are so effective of a testimony. But do, are we familiar with those four areas? And are we willing to take the step in that fourth one like Paul to invite someone into the salvation we have experienced? Here's a question to ask. With what message do you want to leave your listener as you're sharing your testimony? And what steps do you want them to take? We should be aware of these things. As we're entering into that part of our testimony, we'll close with this. Just remember this you are a parable. What God is doing in your life, day to day, biblical truths, changing your life, and you're living them out. And be willing to give reference, be willing to give honor to where that change is happening and share that with them as they're asking, what's the meaning of this parable I see unfolding in front of me? Remember, transformation prompts a testimony. Be a good reporter. Do not be afraid and do not be ashamed. You have a great story to tell. And remember Paul's example of my life in Christ, (laughs) right? Or my life before Christ, my life coming to to know Christ in my life since then and the boldness to invite them with you. Let's pray. I want to read while your heads are bowed because I wanted you to just take this passage in. Paul writes this to Timothy. I think it would be good to speak over you. 1 Timothy 1. For this reason, I remind you to fan... Into flame the gift of God, which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel, for the power of God verse 9, who saved us and called us to be a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Do not be ashamed of the testimony and fan the flame. Fan the flame, the gift that God has inside of you, the story that God has inside of you, and go out and share it, because it's not based on your works, it's based on his grace. People love stories and people should know yours. God, we love you and we thank you for the moment of transformation within the hearts of people in our church. Some of us in here, God, may have never shared our testimony with another, and God, maybe we will move into that direction. Some of us have a story to tell that someone's waiting to hear on the other side. God, I pray that you begin to bring people into our life that are watching this parable unfold in front of them. God, that we can give the meaning to what's happening. God, I pray that you bring those people or place us in their life. God, I ask that, like Paul, we are very in touch with who we were and very in touch with what happened on that moment when we came to life. And God, that we're very in touch with what you're doing in our life and that we are bold to invite another with us. I thank you, God, for our testimony. We celebrate that every day. We're here because of you, Jesus. And we want to walk in your ways and honor you in everything that we do and say, like Paul asked the Colossians to do. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this last time?